Well, hello there. This is Jim the Keys bartender coming to you from a little cooler, slightly cooler Key Largo. If you're not familiar with the Keys bartender podcast, podcast about bartending and Keys life. So today it may it's serious, semi serious uh, show. Um, so uh, I just just bear with me, and I also want to say that we do have Keys Bartender mugs and uh, hats. I almost forgot because I don't have all the, all the merchandise up on my website. But if you go to that website, www.keysbartender.com, and you go to Keys Bartender gear from the drop-down, you'll find those uh, products. And if you like the show and you like to support the show, that would be a great way of doing it. Okay, moving on. I want to talk about the importance of hand washing. I know it's going to say, I'm going to make it real quick. I'll make it real quick. I know it sounds freaking boring, but it's only in the last couple, less than 200 years that people really started to understand the importance of hand washing. There was a doctor in uh, the Austrian Hungarian Empire in Austria. It was a Hungarian physician who works as an obstetrics clinic. That's a hard for, word for me to pronounce, obstetrics uh, clinic. But at the time, it was in the mid-1800s, approximately like 18, 1840s. Um, he, Semmelweis, ran the main obstetrics clinic in Vienna. And he was the, I guess he was the lead physician. And they started noticing over time that uh, when women were giving birth at the clinic versus midwife clinics, that's, you know, people, <clears throat> non-medical people, well, midwives are medical. There was, a, there was always a big thing between midwives and physicians uh, back in, uh, as you go back in time. Okay, and they knew that there was a five times, about five times the uh, increase in mother's, uh, women's uh, death in the obstetrics clinic. And they couldn't figure it out. They couldn't figure it out. In the beginning, this Dr. Semmelweis, Ignaz Semmelweis, noticed that they were giving, I mean, the scientific method was not as it is now. But let's say they noticed that midwives allowed women to give or had women give birth on their sides instead of on their back, which they did at his clinic. So he tried that and there was no change. He also tried a couple other things. But then he started noticing that they had better hand hygiene at the midwives. Uh, And they didn't get the people that were performing, um, helping women with their births at the obstetrics clinic were also performing autopsies on the mothers that died. And then going in after the autopsies, they'd go in and without washing their hands, go in and help along with a birth. And these women would come down with fevers and they eventually die. And Semmelweis started thinking, if you use this is pr- prior to, you know, right around the same time as Lister came up with hygienic um, 
his hygienic theory and then Pasteur. You know, the germ theory wasn't developed yet. But he noticed the correlation. Semmelweis noticed the correlation between hand cleanliness and, the, and they knew that one of the chemicals they used was, I think it, it was a carbonic acid to clean your hands. But just washing the hands increased or reduced the chance of uh, when someone was going from one area to the next, meaning if they were performing an autopsy and then giving handling birth, they noticed a great uh, reduction in the chance of passing, you know, the pregnant woman or the birthing mother getting an infection. So we come to that today. And even today, I work in a hospital, not in the me- medical part, in the fitness part of the hospital. They're very stringent about the hand washing. And that's the one thing that even today, there's a possibility that infection, staff infections and things occur because people don't observe the pro- proper hygiene habits, meaning spending a significant, a more significant amount of time washing your hands thoroughly under in hot or warm water and doing it in depth. So when you're at, it's so important that because you're the conduit as a bartender or a server for passing on these things. You're the common element. You, you come in contact with most of the people, with their plates, with their glasses, with their drink glasses. And yes, and you'll be thinking, well, I'm washing the glasses with my hand. And my hands are pretty much they're wet all the time. But it's really important, especially when you pick up dirty plates, utensils and things like that, that you don't go directly to preparing a drink. Like right when I touch, after I touch something, before I make a drink, I have a hand washing sink, like not two feet away from me. And I turn around, this thing, and I wash my hands. And do a nice here, I'm rubbing my hands together. And it's really hard to think because uh, that you could, you, you know, to accept the fact that you could be the person passing this on, but, you know, just to reduce the possibility. At the time, in the mid-1800s, when Dr. Semmelweis noticed that there was, didn't know what the correlation was, but noticed there was a correlative factor in hand hygiene. After doing that, physicians were reluctant to adopt the practice of hand washing. You know why? Because they didn't want to think that they could be the uh, reason why there were so many people dying. They were doing this uh, denial, really deep-seated denial, that how can it be me? It can be me. I'm a physician. I care about it. I'm here to help. I'm not here to hurt. What a same thing as in today's hospitals, people don't, they're not in denial, let's say, but it's, it's a form of carelessness or not accepting that it's important. There's people today that say, you know what? An introduction to germs to people is a good thing, is a good thing. But almost everyone, almost everyone, I don't care what they say, has come in, de- has come in down, come in down, this is my German, come and see down with the uh, fever. No, 
almost everyone has gotten an infection that was passed on to them. Now, there's could be, your body could be really good at rejecting infa- inf- in- infection. You have, it can have a very strong immune system. But eventually, there'll be some pathogen that is introduced to your system that will get you ill. And if you had a stomach virus, you know, the first thing people think when they get a stomach virus is think of food poisoning. Yes, and food poisoning could happen through cross-contamination and things like that. It also can be passed on by our hands, by someone that's ill, passing on their infection. So I strongly urge, and it's going to take you a long time, it's not going to be a, a long time, but... It takes a long time to adopt a new habit. But once you do this on a regular basis, it becomes second nature. Yes, it'll take some time out of your your day. It may affect the flow. But if you adopt it as a habit, then it becomes part of your whole production. Like when I'm making drinks, if you're making drinks and you're making, you get an order for, you got to make 20 drinks and you don't touch your face or your nose, you shouldn't do that. And if you do, you should wash your hands right away. Or you pick up a dirty plate, wash your hands. But if you're in the middle, if you wash your hands and then you're in the middle making drinks and you're not touching anything dirty, everything's clean glasses, this, that, and the other thing. You just go on through making those drinks and then you have a little, uh, brief break, and then you got to bust some glasses, touch something, do that, wash your hands again. I know, this is the mantra you have to do in almost every environment. In every environment. Fine dining, family dining, in dive bars, especially in dive bars. You know, when you're dealing with someone that appears to have some kind of of infection. They're sneezing and coughing. It behooves you, if you want to feel responsible and feel caring, and you can sleep better at night, I would suggest to do that. And I would. I strongly urge that. It's good for everyone. And it makes you, I think it makes you a general all-around better person. And then better high hand hygiene. Actually, it doesn't protect you completely. Obviously, there's airborne illness and all these droplets that cannot get on you when you, you know, when you kiss someone, when you touch someone, when you forget to do that, you touch your eyes, your mouth, you know, and stuff like that. You, you, you're susceptible. But the more you do it, the more you reduce it. Remember, it doesn't, the hand washing did not stop infections. It just reduced them greatly. And that's kind of like the cross-contamination. It's like when you're making chicken at home. If you're using a cutting board and you're cutting up chicken before you cut it, uh, cook it, you're going to take the surface you were cutting on and the utensils, the knives you were using to cut it, and you're going to wash them with hot soapy water and all that stuff. So I'm just doing the same thing you would do. Think that you're working with chicken, raw chicken. Moving on. Now. I want to talk I want to talk about something serious but it's not about the seriousness it's about the way my brain works. Okay? And you'll get it. You'll get it. This is move on. This is about life. And what happens 
my brain jumps ahead and overthinks everything. Everything. And then when it latches on to an idea, it's just it. So the other day, yesterday to be exact, I'm watching a show on a streaming channel. And on that, on those streaming channels, and it's one of those, I think it was Hulu. And unless you buy the top Hulu, there's commercials. And the commercial pops on. It has top flight uh, visuals, production value, and all this stuff. And right away, you could tell. Right away, you can tell. Whoever has made this commercial has a lot of money. It's either a big conglomerate or it's pharmaceutical, which one, again, once again, could be a big conglomerate. Now, the thing I found out, I'm going to get this out of the way before I make light of it. Because I didn't... I first heard of Peroni's disease maybe three years ago. Yes, I had no idea what Peroni's disease was. And I'll get into it later, okay? Well, it's a disease, it's a disease, it's like a plaque buildup that's caused from an injury to your penis, or it could be something that creates a, a real severe bend in your penis and causes this, uh, the effects of it could be painful erections, uh, painful ur uh, urination, uh, God, uh, pain, painful sex. And you can get like bends up to 90% in, in, the, in the penis. And I'm not saying penis for shock value. I just didn't know it was a thing. And then once I heard it was a thing until today, when I decided to do a little research, because I was reluctant to do a little research, because it sounded severe, the stuff that they were talking about, right? It sounded severe. I didn't want to know about it. It was a little, you know, I'm not a urologist. I don't have the issue. I didn't know of it. I've heard about people that may have this, but I thought it was something, well, I heard about it. I said, boy, this is something rare. It must be super expensive, this medicine it must be super expensive, uh, but it turns out among reporting thing, it's like one in 300, one in 200. No, one in 300 is reported incidence of it. One in 300, less than 1%, which is, is rare, not extremely rare. But then they said because of the embarrassment factor, that men may have, they underreported, and it could be as high as one in 11. One in 11. And uh, that's kind of like the same incidence of left handedness or homosexuality, which isn't that rare because you know what you run into? Like, I'm out, it seems like there's more than 11% people that are left handed. It's just that people that are chained, you know, go to the right hand you know, instead of left hand. But they say one in 11, that's huge. Well, it may not be, you know, the one out of 11 may not be as severe and this and that, but okay, now I know it's serious and I have these new treatment. This commercial is for a treatment thing. So now I'm going to talk about the commercial. I got the Peroni's disease out of it. It's serious. If you have it, I'm not making light of it. I'm just saying, in, in the information that I had at the time, this is what I thought. So there's this commercial. 
And it's a couple, and they're uh, a man and a woman. They're in. It looks like they're in their own house. It doesn't look like it's a date or anything. They're in their kitchen, and on the island in the kitchen, there's a, some carrots, and one of the carrots has a bend in it, about you know thirty, forty percent bend. It's about a ten inch long carrot. Carrot, and I said, "Well, what's this all about?" You know, and these guys looking embarrassed, and within two seconds, I knew what it was about. Right? Um, I'm not really listening. I just see it, and he says, "And the guy's looking embarrassed at the carrot, kind of, kind of like the thing in my brain's talking, saying, "Hey, I got this bent carrot," and the woman's looking, "Oh, that's disappointing to me." So my mind takes over, and now get ready for this. It goes for, you know, you think this was like 20 minutes of musings. This is less than a minute. Less than a minute this all occurs. So once again, a voice in my head says, yeah, I have the right. Uh, I have to know that right then that the carrot, I knew right then that the carrot was a metaphor. You know, for the carrot was a penis. Yeah, hear me whispering. Like, what, how... I'm thinking, how puritanical are we? If they're talking about a disease, they have to use a metaphor for the thing that it cures. So instead of saying penis, which they do say penis eventually, but they have to show carrot. They can't show an outline uh, of the penis. You know, I guess they can't do it because of the sensibilities of it. But if it's a disease, you want to show the disease. When they show lungs, like when you have a bronchial congestion, they show a diagram of your lungs and show how the lungs open up if you use some antihistamine or something like that that opens them up. So my mind's just really reeling. And it's thinking, well, that carrot is 10 inches long and the bend isn't that serious. I'm sure there's some women that would be happy with the 10-inch slightly bent penis that was there. Why would they be thinking? And then I... I found out what I found out today, that the, the bend is usually much more severe. It's more than 30%, you know, and that could cause pain, I guess, in that. But I'm not thinking this at the time. Now, mind you, this is only five seconds so far that's going on. And my brain's also saying, well, maybe not so happy with the small point on the end because they're showing the carrot. But then I said, wait again, you know, and being orange, but hey, it's all a metaphor. So... With the penis being a carrot and all that stuff, now my brain moves on to thinking about the podcast and it ignores the last 12, 15 seconds of the... I'm ignoring what they're saying in, in the uh, commercial. And I'm thinking, well, how can I talk about this during the podcast? My brain's attention is seized by the phrase, may cause penile fracture. And my brain pops right into focus. What, how does a fracture happen? You know, the treatment may cause penile fracture. And I mean, how do I explain to emergency room if I took the, if I go out of my way and pay a certain amount of money to take this thing to leave the bend and it causes a penile fracture? I said, yeah, I got this 10 inch penis with a bend in it. So I took this pill that could rupture or fracture your penis. Guess what? You know, I did it, right? And my brain thought, wow, it's almost like the cure, that cure itself is so much more severe. 
then what you know having a fractured penis and and i'm thinking how do you even get a fractured penis i found out today when i was reading it's a rupture it says uh um instead of saying fracture it should say a, a ruptured because it's a blood vessel bursting which is not any better i guess uh, fracture versus rupture i mean that's like two sides of the same coin to me uh but i mean if you i don't know but if it's a $500 uh, a thing, it, it's, it's much more than that. I just found out that the treatment is much higher than that. I, I just didn't need to know. I didn't need to know about this stuff, but I'm paying close attention. So I'm still thinking. And it goes, the commercial goes on to say, refrain from having sex for, within four weeks of getting the treatment. And, or getting treatments. And at the time, he said, well, how many treatments is, if it's 13 treatments and it's four weeks, that's a year, right? And so, you know, that's, that's pretty serious too. And you used to have all these other things that go on. And there's, I mean, you got a bent penis. Does it hurt to pee or does it, not deliver. Well, you know, this is the way they could, could have said it. Well, we got the thing for you. It may cause your penis to explode. You have to wait a year to use your somewhat less bent penis because they showed it after the, the effects of it and the bend was reduced slightly. They didn't show it. They, they should have showed a more severely bent carrot. And this way they can say, well, instead of that... 60 degrees, we got it down to 28 degrees of Ben. So, that thing, I'm not trying to make light of it. I didn't know how severe that was. And as it turns out, the treatment for this since like 2007, they had a treatment, had a, um, uh, since I was talking about hand hygiene and the doctor thing, I, I did a little background research. And in 2007, it cost like $1,000. The average surgery was $1,000. And in 2018, five years ago, prior to COVID, before everything shot up, it was 16000 I could not imagine what it would be now. It could be 40000 now or more. So, yeah, that commercial, they, people are willing to spend. I don't know what the treatments are for the medical, uh, you know, taking the oral medication, but it's pretty, pretty serious. On to that. Um, this is kind of bar talk and life talk at the same time, right? So the thing we just spoke about, that's, I would, since it involves, we're talking about the penis and sex and uh, medical infirmities, uh, it's bar talk. And, you know, the nice thing I always liked about a bar is that no matter what bar you are at, they always are more tolerant of salty language, more so than if you were in church or if you're standing in line at the pharmacy picking up your penis medicine, right? You, you, you're not going to say that kind of stuff unless you're very familiar with your pharmacist, right? Which you'll probably, you might say this stuff to your, your pharmacist if you're picking up that specific, but let's say it has nothing to do with this. But 
people are thinking, yeah, surely you don't, you, you mean like one of those regular corner bars or you don't mean a nicer bar like Chili's and Outback Steakhouse or, you know, any one of those n- nice chains that have a bar. And first of all, that's not fine dining. Okay, that's a regular bar. And if they serve booze, if they serve liquor, wine, beer, there is some outrageous things being said. It's just the nature of the beast. You're going to be able to say that. But you also have to use a little like policing power. You got to, I always talk about reading the room. Now we have, I have a, a nice size bar. It's about, I'm going to say 20 feet by seven feet. And it's three sides. I could be over-exaggerating that, but I have one side I have like six chairs, the other I have about seven, and on the end I can fit another six, right? So there's about enough for 20, 20 people at the bar, and sometimes it gets even more if people are like expanding out by putting around the tables in the corners that we have at the bar. Well, outside that area... There's other tables, and sometimes families like sitting in there because they're high tops, and people like sitting in high tops. And there's two, there's two TVs in our main salon where the bar is, and they, it's some people don't like to sit in a room. the The salon, the main dining room, is the one that gets filled last. So people like to sit in the places occupied already. It's just they, that's their comfort level. Other people feel more comfortable sitting off to the side now. I suggest when you have kids that you go into the main dining room because no one, especially at our place, there's no one stopping. We don't close down the main dining room or our back dining room. Stay out of bar bar area because you know what? If you're afraid of salty language, and when I say, you know, R-rated language or NC-17, notice I didn't say X because there's hardly a time when really graphic and disgusting, when you say disgusting, that's kind of judgmental. But it's not for everyone. So think about it like you would be on talking to a friend. And your friend, you, you are a certain comfort level saying things to your friend. But then think of a, a family member. It, you should have family members. If you're a person who never had any family and don't know what it's like to interact with children and don't care to interact with children... You may not be the person for this conversation, but if you have friends with children uh, or relatives or children or have children yourself, and you take into consideration what you say around them, and granted, the people that sit around the bar room and bring their, their children in, those children learn a lot. They're listening. They're listening at the things that are being said. And if you're upset like I said before, if you're upset by the things that are said sometimes at the bar, maybe you shouldn't be sitting so close to it. Now, obviously, there's some places which you can't avoid it. Could be a big bar with just tables around. That's, that may not, and if that's the only place in your town you can go and eat, then your kids are going to, they're going to have the knowledge on how to cuss like s- sailors. I'm not going to say they're going to cuss like sailors. 
but they certainly will be exposed to that language. But it's also nice if you're not the person introducing someone else's children to that language. And, it's, you know, it's a form, it's a word that you made a word for today would be consideration. And it's always nice to be considerate. Well, this is Jim, the Keys bartender. I appreciate your time today. Remember, keep your hands clean, practice good hygiene. And if you want to get a hold of the Keys bartender gear, go to www.keysbartender.com and you check out the merchandise. We'll be adding more, say, weekly or biweekly to it. You know, T-shirts will be coming soon. T-shirts will be coming soon and other items. Thank you very much. Have a great day. Bye.